Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy Season 3 Episode Consequences. So, um, here we go. <laughs> I hope I didn't seem too emotional and out of it in the last episode. Um, I had had two shots of whiskey. It was late at night. I had had it was the beginning of like two weeks of, it was the end of the first week of like two weeks of my schedule being really weird, like working on days I don't normally work, um, being off on days I'm not normally off, and I, I'm very sensitive to disruptions in my unfortunately, I have the type of job that is not consistent, like, um, it's part-time and it's like, um, generally my weeks are pretty similar as far as like every Monday I do this, every Tuesday I do this. It's pretty similar every week, but it's different. And it would, it would just be a lot easier for me if I, being an autistic person, it would be a lot easier for me if I had, you know, a more consistent work schedule. Um, which I'm working on, like, there's a couple of, well, there's one job prospect in particular that is, like, something that's not going to be available until about a year from now, but I'm really hoping that I get it, and if I do, then I will have the exact same schedule every week, and yeah, anyway. Anyway, I just, I hope I didn't sound too dumb last week. I was pretty emotional about watching Bad Girls, and, um, you know, the fact that I couldn't start recording until like almost midnight. And I don't, it was just, it was a lot and my brain was not fully functioning. <laughs> so, um, I hopefully will be a little bit more intelligent today. Um, talking about consequences. Let's just get some business out of the way. Um, as far as the podcast is concerned. So, Next week, we will have a regular episode. Next Saturday, we will be talking about Doppelgangland. After that, things are going to get real weird. I don't know why. Um, if this is your first time listening to my podcast, my Buffy podcast, it is I review and recap, rehash, re-all the things every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air dates. So for whatever reason, the air date schedule of the rest of season three after next week is really weird. So I'm just going to go over it now. I'll go over it in the next episode as well. It's going to get funky. So next week we have an episode like normal. In March, we only have one episode and it's in the middle of the month. In April, we have zero episodes. Keep in mind, this is not, we haven't finished a season. We're, we're wrapping up a season right now. So we're in the last, um, like four, five, six, seven. I think there's seven episodes left after this week. So we have one next week, one in March, zero in April, three in May. So here's where it's extra weird. 
So May 18th, we will talk about graduation day part one, which is the first of the two-parter that ends the season. May 18th, we will talk about part one and we won't talk about part two until July 13th. We have to wait two months to talk about the second part of the series or the season ender. And then no episodes to talk about in August, but in September, okay, so here's what happened. What had happened was 1999, 20 years ago, it was, um, I don't remember when, but it's in the next couple of months. It was like in March or April, something like that. Um, the intended air date of the episode called Earshot was, I don't, I wonder if it says in my episode guide. Let me look it up real quick. Earshot. Okay, so it was April 20th when the um, Columbine shooting happened. Oh my God. So I bet it was because that was actually a Saturday or, or not a Saturday. It's a Saturday for us this year. Um, so that might have been the actual day that that episode was going to air earshot. And it was, um, an episode about, it was either that day or it was going to be like the week after or something like that. Oh yeah, here we go. April 27th was the day that it was going to air. It was going to air exactly a week after the Columbine tragedy shooting happened. So they postponed it because it seemed like insensitive to do it at that time. So that is why we're going to be, that episode was supposed to be before choices. So it's, it's like, it's before the very last big chunk, big arc of season three. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so it was supposed to air in April, but it doesn't, we won't get to talk about it since we're watching every episode 20 years after it actually aired. We're not going to get to talk about it until September, which will be right before, and that's going to seem really weird to like go back to an episode that was, you know, it's going to seem really, it's going to feel strange, but I'm going to do it because I'm going to, I'm doing, I'm being faithful to this project. So we'll be talking about that episode just two weeks before we start talking about season four. And as I've said before, and I will keep bringing this up, um, I'm going to, I am going to watch Angel as well because um, the Angel series, once we start season four of talking about Buffy, the Angel series will be starting simultaneously. And I think they aired on the same night. Um, so I'm going to talk about that too. However, the way that I'm going to deal with that is going to be much more, much more light. Like I'm not going to watch the episode multiple times. I'm probably just going to watch it once, take a few notes with particular attention to following characters from Buffy over to Angel. So I'm not going to talk a whole lot about Angel in general or... I'm not going to do thorough recaps of the Angel episodes unless it's like an episode I really like or 
the crossover episodes when because there's a couple of episodes when Buffy crosses over to Angel there's a couple of episodes where Faith crosses over to Angel there's a major Faith story arc um, in season one of Angel that's going to be pretty important to her character development so I'll get into it deep I might even have a specific episode for episodes like that but most of the time when I talk about Angel I'm just going to talk about Angel for like you know, I don't know, five or 10 minutes. I'm going to be like, okay, meanwhile on Angel, and then, you know, talk about it real quick. Um, because I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to get totally into it because Angel is never, like I've watched, I own the, the entire Angel series and I've watched it all the way through maybe twice, maybe three times. I've probably seen some episodes three times, but I haven't seen the entire series all the way through three times. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun for me to watch it in the same way that I'm watching Buffy doing the whole 20 years later thing so that I can see it in the way that it was airing at the time. And I feel like it'll make more sense to me watching it alongside the Buffy episodes. I might get a little bit more out of the show than I ever have before because it's never really been for me. It's just a little too, I don't know, it's just too much like a, like a detective, like a traditional detective show. There's nothing really spectacular about the Angel series. So I'm not going to get too far into talking about that or that's what I'm thinking right now anyway like maybe I'll get something out of it I never have before <laughs> I don't know we'll see but obviously like I keep talking about that even though that's not something that we're actually going to be talking about until freaking October so let's move on <laughs> okay so let's get into it I thought um so this episode is written by Marty Noxon who becomes the showrunner starting in She's been writing for the show, I think, since season two, but she becomes the, definitely since season two, but she becomes the showrunner starting next season because basically Joss Whedon just abandons Buffy at the end of this season. He just funnels all of his energy into Angel and Firefly um, from now on, and he's just kind of done. He, he swoops in every once in a while to like make a grand gesture, such as once more with feeling or hush or something like that. Um because he thinks he's too good for the day-to-day -day dealings on Buffy and good riddance because Marty Noxon becoming the showrunner like she is she knows how to fucking tell a gut-wrenching story um exhibit a consequences she wrote this episode um it begins with Buffy's having a dream it's very you know like the symbolism is you don't even have to explain it kind of symbolism she's drowning because Alan, the deputy mayor that Faith accidentally killed in the last episode, is holding onto her ankle and pulling her under. So she's in some kind of water. He's pulling her under. She's struggling to get to the top. She finally breaks away from him. And as soon as she gets to the surface, Faith is right there out of the water and she reaches down and pushes her back under. So obviously in Buffy's mind, she is struggling to deal with this awful thing that happened and, and Faith is just pushing her down and drowning her. Um, the sanctimonious Buffy. <laughs> um, I, I gotta give her a little bit more understanding because, you know, both Faith and Buffy, as they're dealing with this situation, they are being defensive. They're 
They've got their own defense mechanisms in place. Neither of them are dealing with it in a very productive way. And they're both shut down. It's not just faith. Um, because Buffy's sort of like, she's like reverting to this sort of childish, innocent, um, this bad thing happened to me, somebody fix it for me thing. Um, so she's not, and she's not being very understanding to Faith. Like throughout the whole episode, Faith is crying out to her. Like say, she just wants, she just wants Buffy to like admit. She just wants Buffy to fucking admit that, you know, she has these feelings too. She also thinks she's better than everyone else. She does. You know, that episode, I, I always think about this, is that episode in season seven, conversations with dead people. So that's really far in the future. But there's this vampire she ends up like sparring with all night, but she used to know him and he was a psych major. And um, so he sort of psychoanalyzes her all night and it's, and he, she ends up having to kill him because he's a vampire, but at the end, but you know, the whole night they're just sort of talking about Buffy's problems. And at one point he says to her, so you have a superiority complex and you have an inferiority complex about it. <laughs> and that's always just really stuck out to me as being a really simple way. And I'm sure Marty Noxon wrote that as well. Being a really simple way to sum up Buffy's character and it's really true. Like she definitely feels like she's better than everyone else because she's a slayer, but she refuses to admit that she feels that way. And this whole episode is like Faith screaming at Buffy to admit that she has some of the same feelings that Faith has. And she does, but she can't admit that to Faith. And, you know, conversely, Buffy's screaming at Faith the whole time, wanting her to admit that she killed a person and that has weight and blue, blue, blue. But, you know, Buffy really needs to be the bigger person here. She thinks she is, but she's not acting emotionally mature. And, you know, of course she is like 17 years old. So why does she need to act emotionally mature? But it's just, it's frustrating to watch all of their interactions through this episode because they're both screaming at each other to be seen by the other person, to be understood by the other person. Because I mean, if Buffy could meet her halfway a little bit, she is the person that can get through to faith. I mean, Angel has the capacity to do that, and he's ultimately the one that does throughout the the arc of Faith's redemption journey that she's about to go on. Well, she's about to just go on a dark path for a while before the redemption journey. But anyway, Angel ends up being the one that pulls her out of the darkness. But I think Buffy could have at this moment, Buffy could have pulled her out before she went completely under. You know, Faith is the one that's underwater here. It's not Buffy. The way that Marty Noxon writes for Faith's character, I think, is actually kind of understanding. If you, like, pay attention to the actual words coming out of Faith's mouth, she makes a lot of sense most of the time, in this episode even. It's, it's very clear that she is covering for her real feelings and she 
is more emotionally intelligent than the show wants to give her credit for. I'm kind of curious, like obviously I can't know the answer to this, but I'd be curious to know if, if Joss Whedon wasn't so involved at this point, if he didn't have such a heavy hand on all of the plot aspects in the show would this story have been told differently if Marty Noxon had more control? Um, you know, I, because ultimately like the big story arcs, Joss Whedon had final say and he always swoops in to like make sure that the story is being told exactly how he wants it to be told, even if other people are doing the day-to-day -day writing. Um, yeah, anyway, I would, I would be curious to see how this storyline would play out. Knowing Marty Noxon, it would still be really dark and emotionally gut-wrenching because she does that very well, but would it also, would it also give Faith a little bit more credit and understanding? Maybe, but we'll never know, I guess. So let's move on from that. Um, Buffy wakes up from her nightmare and I just thought that this was, oh gosh, so fucking heavy-handed. She wakes up in her white bed, you know, like all her sheets. I mean, and they're her sheets that have always been her sheets, you know, like she's she's got her stupid like white and beige gingham comforter. So ugly. She wakes up in her white bed. She's wearing a matching pajama set that is baby blue with sheep jumping over fences on it. It's just like... They're really amping up the fact that she's just a little girl. That's all she is. She's a little girl that witnessed a murder that was there with her friend. And her friend wants her to cover up this murder. <laughs> Poor baby Buffy. Like, no, that's too heavy handed. I don't like it. Um, so she gets up from her nightmare and her mom is sitting in her bedroom, like in the middle of the fucking night, sitting in her bedroom, watching a news broadcast where they're talking about how the deputy mayor was just killed. And at this point, I don't know. I don't think Buffy knew at this point who the person was that she, that Faith accidentally killed. Um, so this is probably the reveal to Buffy that it is the deputy mayor, Alan, that was killed and that the mayor is, you know, upset and he is investigating. And so Buffy's like, oh shit. Um, and then Joyce, God, she's so funny. Um, how many times has Joyce had a line like this? I think this is the only line Joyce has in the entire episode. Oh, I think she's just like, oh, Buffy, you're up. And then she says, looks back to the TV and says, it's just terrible, isn't it? It's just, it's just bad. It's so awful, isn't it? What happened to those kids? What happened to that deputy mayor? It's just so terrible, isn't it? Anyway, um, the next day at the library or the, the next, that morning at the library, Faith is there and it's Wesley. Wesley's telling Faith and Buffy that he wants them to investigate the deputy mayor's murder, which is dumb, you know, like that doesn't make any sense, but face like, sure, whatever you want, which should have been a red flag to anyone that faith was ready to take orders from Wesley. 
which he wouldn't even like acknowledge his existence when he showed on the scene last episode. Um, but Buffy makes the point like, why? Why would we do that? This is a human murder. Like it doesn't, we've got other things to do. The police are already investigating this. Um, or some of those points I think were made by Giles, but you know, he, he agrees with her. He's like, well, yeah, like this is a human murder. The, I mean, this is the mayor's assistant, you know, like people are working on this. We don't need the slayers to do it. But Wesley wants to assert his authority and he's decided that he wants them to do this. And it's like a point of contention for him that like, if they defy him on this, he's just putting his foot down, even though you know, like, I think he already realizes, well, yeah, that's probably right. Uh, this is probably a waste of their time, but I'm going to make them do it anyway, because I want them to recognize my authority. Cordelia comes in and there's an immediate attraction between Cordelia and Wesley. I actually want to look this up real quick. I know Charisma Carpenter was at this point typing with one hand. She was probably 30. Let's see, she was born in 1970. So yeah, she was 29 at this point. So let's see, what about Wesley? Alexis Denisov. Okay, he was, he was 33 and she was 29. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this is, I don't know if this was sort of just a cheeky little, um, nod to the fact that Charisma Carpenter is, and they even had her dressed, like the way she's dressed in this scene, this is the only scene we see Cordelia in this episode. She comes into the library because she needs to check out some psychology books and, which is hilarious because we actually get to see Giles check out books in the library. It always makes me happy when that happens to get to watch Giles, you know, do the stamp thing, you know, <laughs> I never got to like, I've worked in a library for 15 years, but I've never, I never worked in a library during the era when we got to use those little date stamps. Unfortunately, I don't have actual memories of doing it. Of course, I, I do have memories of checking out books from establishments that do that. I think my university was still doing that. Yeah, they were. Whenever I went to college, whenever I checked out books from the college library, they still had the little date stamps. I don't know, just fun little aside. We actually get to see Giles check out books and, and that's the whole reason for Cordelia being in the library. And so she meets Wesley and at first Wesley mistakes her for a teacher and uh, yeah, being that they're only four years apart in age, that makes sense, right? Because Wesley is a baby, like... I think they meant they're doing this on purpose, but he's wearing like super oversized suits, like especially the suit jackets. They're like, they look like David Byrne in the once in a lifetime video, you know, when he's got like those huge, like he's like a triangle shape because of how wide the shoulders are. Like next time you watch this episode, check out Wesley's style. He doesn't know how to, it's like he's pretending to be a grown up. It's, like they gave him this watcher job way before he was ready or something like he's obviously very naive 
and that's probably why they're showing him being attracted to Cordelia because he's he's only 33 you know like he's a baby he's very naive he's only fought vampires under controlled circumstances he is so out of his element um so obviously I think they're dressing him to that point like let's put him in this super oversized suit so it it shows just how bumbling this guy really is um he is somebody he's a character I am going to pay attention to once we start talking about Angel because he does end up a pretty big part of Angel's show and he ends up being a very interesting complex character he goes through you know several character arcs and transformations and he becomes very interesting and a really really great guy like he actually is a really great guy under all of this he's just very inexperienced and does not know what the fuck he's doing right now and he is being manipulated by his upbringing in the watchers council and like right now he's still very much under their thumb and hasn't broken away from them yet he doesn't know what it's like to actually fight on the front lines and all of that so I like the fact that you know he's not at this point in the show he probably was just brought in to be a bumbling like terrible authority figure that no one should listen to but I'm glad they let him evolve and he becomes like a really interesting character and so anyway that's just another aside like this is an episode i'm already going to be talking a lot about and i just talked about fucking wesley for five minutes he is a cutie though i mean at this point in time he's not so much of a cutie but later on like when he gets a little bit more rugged a little bit more life experience through um being on angel he's he's not bad to look at you know he's another sexy watcher just like giles we just can't tell yet okay um i'd love to read some like fan fiction of like i don't know like adventures that giles and wesley go on i don't know <laughs> murders that they solve i'd like to read like a noir detective novel where for some reason giles and wesley have to team up and like get some shit done and solve a murder or something i don't know that would be fun anyway um they could be very you know Sherlock and uh Watson so after Cordelia walks out of the room Wesley is like visibly staring at her ass and he says she's cheeky isn't she <laughs> um and then uh Faith says first word jail second word bait like everybody's being real heavy-handed like remember she's a student so this stupid plot line is gonna go on like we're gonna have to see that Cordelia and Giles are or Cordelia and Wesley are very attracted to each other and it's dumb and gross but whatever we're gonna have to put up with that it's oh, for some reason they needed that as an excuse for Cordelia to be back in the picture because she's gonna start hanging out in the next few episodes just to be closer to Wesley essentially and probably also to make Xander jealous by the fact that she is attracted to Wesley but anyway dumb shit but we are gonna have to watch that play out um he he says the words to faith and buffy i'm your commander now <laughs> because he's really trying to push this point that um they need to go investigate the deputy mayor's um murder so 
The next scene, Faith takes Buffy into like a classroom to talk to her because, you know, she's really trying to be casual and be normal and Buffy is acting real shifty. So she kind of says to her, you know, and my note was Faith is keeping her cool. Like she's really trying. She's really trying to get past this. And like, it makes sense that she's trying to get past it, you know? Um, and then she has a great point. Thank you, Marty Noxon, for writing this. Um, she's like talking about like, she says something to Buffy about like, why aren't you trying to protect me? Um, or no, Buffy says something like we have to tell, I mean, I can't, we can't pretend that this didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. And then Faith says, but you can pretend Angel's still dead when you need to protect him. That is a really, really great point. Let's just think about that for a second. Let's take a moment. Buffy was fine not telling anyone that Angel had resurrected from the dead when he did way worse things on purpose than Faith has ever done. Faith accidentally killed someone and she's trying to get through this shit. It's a tricky situation. It makes sense knowing Faith's upbringing, if you've read Go Ask Malice, <laughs> that, you know, Faith is just trying to keep her head down and get through it. Like this is not the first time she's probably had to deal with a really weird situation and she's used to no one helping her out. She's used to not being able to trust anyone and not being able to go to anyone. And so it makes sense that the way that she wants to deal with this is just to keep quiet and wait for it to blow over because it's not like anybody's going to help her. And I really think that's a very important point that she made. You can pretend Angel's still dead when you need to protect him because she did. She pretended that he didn't come back for weeks, possibly months, she did that for him, but she can't be quiet for four seconds while Faith and Buffy, like, figure out what they're going to do, you know? Um, Buffy tries to go talk to Willow at school after this conversation, and Willow's being super guarded. She doesn't really want to talk to Buffy. Which is, you know, it makes sense. It does make sense. Like, Buffy was kind of being dismissive of Willow in the last episode and she was hanging out with Faith so much. And, um, Willow's hurt. Some of, like, some of the Willow stuff that happens in this episode, I think, is a little bit overdone. We'll get there. Um, okay. My next note is, Angel is being emotionally intelligent this episode for a change. They probably knew he had a show. I, at this point, I think they knew that he was going to go off on his own because the way that he acts in this episode is much more like the way that he is in his own show. Like, he's he's mature, he's put together, he is focused on saving people, he's much more emotionally intelligent. Like, up until this point, we have mostly seen Angel act like a teenage boy emotionally. And... It's awful, but they're, they're transitioning him. And this is the first time we're really seeing that. Like he's still lurking, but he's lurking for a good reason. This episode, <laughs> um, you can just kind of see him in the background. Like you can tell he knows exactly what went down. Um, 
from the beginning. Like no one has to tell him he was nearby when the whole thing happened. He is around when the police are investigating it. You know, he's putting it together. And this is, you know, just the best possible outcome for Angel's character. Like being that he's a creepy lurker and he's got nothing to do with his undead life except to hang out and save people and be on his own redemption path. This is, this is a good episode for Angel. I don't really get pissed off at Angel in this episode, except the fact that he keeps, anyway, we'll get there. We're not there yet. Okay. So Angel's emotionally intelligent in this episode. He, he understands what's going on without anyone having to tell him. We get a scene between the mayor and Trick. He is, he's just not enjoying shredding like he usually does. He's getting rid of all these documents that Alan had in his office. And he's like, man, why does he have all this incriminating evidence on us? Was he planning to like sell us out? Oh, now that's a terrible thought. And now he's not even around for me to scold him. <laughs> oh God, I love the mayor so much. Um, so they go to Alan's office, Faith and Buffy go to Alan's office at some point later and, um, to investigate or whatever. And Faith's like, why are we doing this? Like, I don't care what he was about. You know, obviously she's being evasive. She doesn't want to like be in a room full of his things when she's the one that killed him. And then one of the most heartbreaking moments in the episode, Faith picks up a picture of the deputy mayor with the mayor and like, you know. And she just has this moment where she just, she gets sucked in and she says, he came out of nowhere. And Buffy, oh, this was her moment where she could have, I don't know what she could have done here because all she says is, I know, but it's very pointed. You know, she's like, I know, <laughs> like it's understanding, but it's also pointed and sanctimonious. Just like sometimes everything that comes out of Buffy's mouth is very preachy and sanctimonious. And like, I understand how Faith immediately, so she just says he came out of nowhere. She has this little vulnerable moment where she lets the mask down for a second. Buffy says, I know. And she's like, whatever. Okay. Like I'm not looking to hug and cry and learn and grow. It's just, I'm just happy. I'm just saying it happened fast. You know, mask goes right back up because you know, Buffy's not dealing with this well, but you know, neither is Faith. So whatever. They're both not dealing with it well. They both have emotional problems. Um, two slayers, double the emotional problems. Okay. Um, afterwards, after they leave, um, after they leave the mayor's office, oh, they discover that this is the first moment that Buffy is discovering that maybe the mayor is not on the up and up because all of Alan's files are gone because the mayor was shredding them earlier. So she's like, huh, what's up with this? They're obviously trying to cover something up. She thinks that he was there for a reason. Like she's intelligent enough to understand that like, hey, uh, he was there because he was trying to talk to us but then we accidentally killed him. He was trying to talk to us. I want to know why. Whatever. So after they leave, they have another conversation. Fuffy, but Fuffy, Fuffy and Baith have another, have another conversation. And she's like, Faith says something like, I'm not, um, so the mayor's a black hat. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. 
or I'm not very, I'm not surprised. And Buffy says, I kind of am. I didn't get the bad guy vibe off of him. And then Faith says, um, this is a quote of the episode, by the way, might as well just tell you now. Faith says, it doesn't matter what kind of vibe you get off a person because nine times out of 10, the face they're showing you is not the real one. Obviously very pointed comment for Faith to make here. And again, I think it's another cry for help. It's not an accident that she says that, you know, I think they want us, I think the show runners want us to think that it's an accident that she said that, but it's kind of not. And then Buffy says, well, you'd know something about that, wouldn't you? So confrontational, Buffy. Like, there's a way that you could have said that without saying it like that. Um, and she's like, what's that supposed to mean? Um, and then they get in this whole morality conversation where Buffy's like, you know, we don't get to just like do whatever we want. And Faith keeps saying, why not? We're better than everyone else. And Buffy's like, no, we're not. She's like, we are. Or Buffy says something like, we're not better than anyone else. And Faith says, but we are better. You know, like people need us to survive. Like we were chosen to protect people. And she makes a lot of great points. She's like, she's like, she actually says, I didn't mean to kill him. I'm really sorry about the guy. I actually really am. But it happened. And, you know, how many thousands of people have we saved so far? I think we're in the plus column. It was an accident. So many good points. But Buffy is just like, she's shutting down, you know, like she can't live with this. And I understand it would be like a really terrible thing to go through, but she's not meeting Faith halfway anywhere. Like Faith is really trying to get there with her. She's, she is reaching out. I mean, she's doing it in her Faith way, but she's doing it. And Buffy's just shutting down because Faith is not reacting to her in the way that she needs to, or in the way that Buffy needs her to, you know, like she's not, it's like, it's like you can't even have a conversation with Buffy unless she's, was sniveling on the floor like faith for Buffy it's like she needs faith to like be like I can't believe I did that it's so terrible I'm just broken up about it and like a lot of people would react that way yes but that's not the way that faith reacts because faith has had a really hard upbringing you know it have a little bit of understanding here okay I need to move forward. Okay. How many times am I going to say that same thing over and over? Just like how many times Angel later will say she's killed now. She has a taste for it. Whatever. Um, um, whenever Buffy gets home from the conversation with Faith after they investigate at the deputy mayor's office, um, my next note is when do they get their story straight? Because there's a detective waiting for Buffy when she gets home. And then there's like this little, he talks to both her and Faith separately that night and he asks them all the same questions and their stories are pretty straight. They hung out last night. Um, Buffy didn't get home till like one in the morning. They hung out, they watched TV, they just hung out, whatever. When did they get that story straight? I don't know. We didn't see them do that. Um, the detective says something about witnesses put them in the alley at a certain time of night, which is around when the deputy mayor was killed. 
And my note was, what witnesses would rat out the women that save their lives all the damn time? And then I was like, oh yeah, there probably actually wasn't any witnesses. It was probably just the detective saying that because at this point, um, the autopsy has revealed that there were like wood splinters in the deputy mayor's heart. So Trick and the mayor both already know that like, it's probably one of the slayers that killed him. But so they probably just told this detective that there were witnesses or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> my next note was Faith makes her bed. So Um, while she's sitting on the bed, at, on her bed in the motel room, as the um, detective is questioning her, her bed is made. And I just think that's kind of uncharacteristic of Faith as a character to make her bed. I mean, I don't make my bed most of the time. And I'm a lot more put together than Faith. Well, maybe. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Okay. Um, and I also had to note that both, because we see Willow's bedroom here in a second, Buffy's going to go talk to her. But both Willow and Faith have, like, a very similar, like, sort of medium blue colored scarf draped over the lamps on their bedside tables. So, just an interesting note. I don't know if that's something that anyone was supposed to notice ever, but I did. Um, the sets in Buffy are just, like, so great. The sets, the lighting, the prop department, you know all the gold stars to them. Um, in this episode in particular, I was just so distracted by, by Faith's motel room, by Willow's bedroom, by Angel's mansion looked fucking gorgeous in this episode. I mean, it always does. It's just a beautiful set. Um, why he gets to live in that grandiose mansion when he's an evil vampire. I don't know, but he does. It's the classiest vampire domain like ever. Anyway, um, or it's, it's like the perfect marriage between classy and, um, overgrown neglect, you know, because obviously it's like an abandoned mansion, but it's gorgeous architecture. There's ivy growing everywhere. And it's just like, it's just gorgeous. Anyway, I'll talk about that more once we get to that scene. But um, ba -ba -da -ba -da. okay. So the next scene after we get the whole detective talking to everyone, I guess at this point, Buffy is just really in distress. So she goes to talk to Willow in like the middle of the night. Willow's on her computer. My note was, what is Willow doing on the internet right now? In 1999, what would Willow Rosenberg be doing on her computer? Maybe she was just like writing a, no, but she wasn't writing. She was using the mouse pad and like clicking around like she was surfing on the internet. What would Willow Rosenberg be doing on the internet in 1999? Was she on a techno-pagan chat room? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't, I just, that was the question that came up in my mind. Um, so Buffy tells Willow everything cause she's super upset. Willow sort of tells Buffy like, I'm sorry. I've been, I've been like before she, Buffy tells her what's going on. She's like, I've been letting things fester. Like, I just feel like you're, you and Faith have this like exclusive Slayer Club and you're leaving me out. I mean, you used to tell me everything. Like, you can still trust me. Like, since when will I not understand? You know, because in the last episode, Buffy was being real like, sorry, it's a Slayer thing. You wouldn't get it, you know, every two seconds. So I get why Willow's hurt. 
Um, and then Buffy tells her everything about what's going on right now. And Willow, you know, Buffy says like face acting like she doesn't even care that this all happened. And Willow says something very smart. There's emotionally intelligent people around Buffy this entire episode. She says, do you think she's like in shock? So at this point, Willow's trying to empathize with Faith. This is like the last time we will ever see that because Willow is going to be very petty about Faith forever after this moment. But so I just wanted to note that the last moment that Willow tries to empathize with Faith, like pretty much ever right here. Um, And Willow just basically says, you got to go to Giles, man. You have to. So... Buffy is just like, sometimes they really portray her as being very easily manipulated by other people. I mean, like in the last episode, she just like decided all of a sudden that she was going to be best friends with Faith and adopt all of Faith's philosophies on things. Like, why? I don't know. But she decided to do that. And she just like started doing things Faith's way for a whole episode and everything went badly. And she doesn't she doesn't go to Giles because Faith tells her not to. And then she does go to Giles as soon as Willow tells her, go to Giles. (laughs) Like, okay, whatever. Anyway, so she goes to Giles and Faith's already there. So whenever Buffy went to talk to Willow, I guess at the same time, Faith decided to go talk to Giles at the library, which again, why the fuck? I mean, I know why the fuck, because the library set is more available probably than the Giles apartment set. I don't know. Like, I know that they had access to the school that, um, because I think this is actually the interior of the school. I think this is actually the library inside of the school that they, um, which is like Hemery High School or something like that, that they shoot in, which they can really only shoot in after school is out for the day. Probably another reason why that library and that school set is so rich and wonderful because it's actually a fucking school. Like, I wonder if that library is still like that. I wonder what it looks like now. If that's actually the interior of the library in that actual real high school in California, does it still look like that? I'd love to know. I mean, obviously it would be it would have a lot more computers and it would look different, but have they like massively remodeled it or does it still have that awesome vibe that that fucking library had? Anyway, anyway, so she goes to talk to Giles and Faith is already there and Faith just kind of says, it's okay. I told him I had to tell him what you did. So this is the first time that like Faith really like throughout the rest of the episode, there are only two moments where I massively disagree with the choices that Faith is making. Like, I understand why she's acting the way that she's acting in almost every instance in this episode. I kind of understand this, too, why she would go to Giles and say that it was Buffy. She is hurting. She is covering for herself. She's trying to protect herself. I, knowing the things that she's gone through in her life... <laughs> According to the Go Ask Malice novel, again, yeah, I'm going to bring that up a lot because it really helped form a backstory for Faith reading that book. And it was, it was a really good read if you're interested in Faith's character and you're interested in reading a whole novel about Faith. Get your hands on that thing. It's kind of hard to find 
for whatever reason, I was able to get it from the Books A Million website um, for a regular reasonable price on Amazon and eBay, which I looked in those two places first. It was super, super expensive and you had to like buy it used and it was like hundred dollars or more, but but for whatever reason, even though it was back ordered when I ordered it from the Books A Million website, it only took like two or three weeks for me to get it. And I paid like 15 bucks for it. So anyway, if you're interested, go ask Malice, get that book. Um, if you want to understand faith better. <laughs> um, anyway, this is, yeah, this was a little shitty. This was definitely a betrayal. Uh, Giles essentially just like says to Faith, I'll, I'll, call, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, Buffy, get in my office right now. I need to talk to you. Like he put another moment where like Giles and Angel both are super emotionally intelligent and they know exactly what needs to be done in the situation. And I think that makes sense. It makes sense that the more, the older, more mature, the, the ones that should be more mature, like usually it's not Angel, but it totally makes sense that Giles would, not only would Giles know exactly what to do, but he knows exactly how to navigate all of the emotional intricacies in the situation. He chooses to let Faith think that he completely believes her because he wants to gain her trust. And as soon as she leaves, you know, Buffy's all like jumping to her own defense. Like, I didn't do this, I swear. And he's like, Buffy, I know. I know it was Faith. Like, I understand what's going on here. I don't like that the way that he phrases that is faith is good at many things, but not at lying. Like, I don't, I don't know why that sticks in my craw, but I just kind of wish he would have just kind of been like, I know, like, I, I understand. Cause it would make sense that whatever faith said to him, he would automatically understand that that's not really what went down. Like, it doesn't have to be that she's not a good liar. Like it's just, you can see through that because you can see through the defense mechanisms. Anyway, whatever. Maybe that I'm just being like nitpicky about that particular thing. But anyway, he immediately knows and he is just oh, such a guy, <laughs> such a guy. Um, I wrote Giles is the King of Swords AF. <laughs> um, so the King of Swords is, um, He's like the, uh, like me being obsessed with tarot cards right now. He's, that's the one when I create my own tarot deck, which I found out you guys. Oh my God. Just little tarot aside here. Um, I was watching some like video of somebody talking about their top five tarot decks and they brought out this deck that they were like, well, you can't really like get this one. This is one I made myself. And it was like, it looked really professionally done. And it turns out there's like, oh, of course there is like, duh, but I didn't know about it till today. There's a website called like makeyourownplayingcards.com or something like that. Um, it might not exactly be that, but something close to that where you, you can pick, like you can upload any images and you can pick the type of cardstock, the size of the cards that you want, like what the title of the cards are and like whether or not you want it to come in a custom made box, you get to decide the backs of the cards. like. And then I have no idea how much it's going to cost, but for a while now I have had, I have like a list going that like, I, I know I want to create my own deck probably just for myself. Cause it's going to be 
too scattered sub of a subject matter like several of the cards I want to be Buffy characters I want to also use like album artwork from some of my very favorite albums I want to use like you know different characters from comic books and um, TV shows and movies and like um, and I've known for a while that Giles is going to be the King of Swords. The King of Swords is like the smartest person in the tarot deck, you know, um, in the minor arcana anyway. And he's, he's definitely, anyway, so I just wrote Giles, King of Swords, AF, just kind of confirming. So I'm really excited about that. Like, I, I can't wait to create my own tarot deck. Like, it's going to be fun. And hopefully it won't be so expensive. Hopefully it'll be cheap enough that I'll be able to like order like, I don't know, like three to five copies so I can keep one for myself and give a few away to friends or something um, that like tarot cards uh, because I'm really getting into it. Like I'm really getting into it. <laughs> um, it's going to be fun. And this way I don't have to worry about like copyright stuff and I don't have to worry about because my plan before was to take like an existing deck that I don't really like and like collage over the whole thing and that was going to be super messy. I am not, I am not a neat and tidy art doer. So the cards would have like been all sticky and messy and bad and this way if I just upload images either that I collage myself, that I draw myself, that I find on the internet, whatever. It's going to look professionally done. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to do it. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Okay. Anyway, it's going to be a time consuming project, obviously, because a tarot deck is 78 cards and I don't even know what I'm going to do with all of the cards. And I want to be very thoughtful about it because I want it to actually be a deck that I want to use, you know, because I'm creating it for myself. Anyway. Anyway, if you want tarot card readings from me, um, send me a couple bucks on PayPal and I'll do, um, I do it in a certain way where not only will I pull tarot cards for you and do like a little, a little baby reading, um, depending on like, you know, if you want to send me three bucks, I'll do a three card reading. If you want to send me nine bucks, I'll do a nine card reading, like, you know, that kind of thing. But not only do I pull cards for you, but I'll pull songs. I'll do like a song shuffle, um. So yeah, paypal.me slash Ray if you want a tarot reading from me. <laughs> Just put in like the notes whenever you're sending me money on there, um, like what kind of reading you want. Um, if you really want to get into it, you can pick which kind of, what kind of deck, because I have six different decks. So if you like have a certain vibe, like if you want to, you know, get into sort of like, if you, if your aesthetics are kind of darker imagery, I have like a deck called the Marigold Tarot that's sort of um, like skeletons that it just sort of gets into deeper, darker stuff. Or I have like this deck called Shadowscapes, which is all like fairies and mermaids and stuff. And it's much gentler. <laughs> um, but anyway, whatever, whatever. That whole thing is just like this new thing that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like start reading for people so I can get better at at this whole tarot experience. So if you guys want to support me in that, um, super cheap readings, you know, I'll do it. Let's do it. Okay. <sighs> Where are we? Oh, and then Giles. Okay. So he's just, he's just being so on point. He knows exactly what to do. He's like, look, Faith is, she's not willing to admit what's going on right now. And he also has to counsel Buffy. Like, and he says to her, like, I wrote it out. 
This is exactly what he says. This is not the first time this has ever happened. And Buffy's like, it's not. <laughs> like Buffy thinks, how could she think that it has never happened before that a slayer has accidentally killed a human? Like, duh. But anyway, he says, the slayer is on the front line of a nightly war. It's tragic, but accidents have happened. And then she basically says, usually, you know, you submit the situation to the council, the council investigates and decides whether or not there's a punishment needed in the situation. But he says, I have no plans to involve the council. Like Faith can't handle that right now. Um, and he says, if we scare her off now, we may lose her forever. We have to be really delicate about this and deciding what to do. And they kind of decide that they're going to meet with Xander and Willow and like kind of talk it out like maybe that he doesn't really know how to handle it, but like, how are we going to intervene? Blah, blah, blah. We got to figure out something to do. And Wesley is outside the door and he overhears all of it. And he immediately calls the fucking council. Of course, it totally makes sense that he would do that. He's known them for like three days at this point. Okay. Let's, let's say he's known them for like a week and a half at this point, maybe. Cause we just met him in the last episode a week ago. Um, it, it totally makes sense that he did this, although it really sucks. You know, he's doing it because he's seeing his slayer go to his, to her former watcher and he just wants to go against whatever Giles wants to do because he wants to assert his authority in the situation since he's the new watcher. So I get his motivations, but it's, he's doing the worst thing ever. This moment of him involving the council is the breaking point for faith because as we will see yeah it's just it's awful okay my next note buffy xander giles and willow buffy in all black just wanted to point that out because you know the way that they dress her is is symbolic you know the fact that they were putting her in baby blue sheep pajamas earlier was not an accident like she was retreating in the moment where she's in the, her in Giles's office and they're having the conversation that we just talked about. She's wearing this awful hot pink oversized trench coat thing that is just the worst. Like she's wearing oversized, obnoxiously girly, for lack of a better term, clothing in the whole first section of this episode because she's like reverting to some childhood thing like she's feeling very victimized by this situation so she's wearing a lot of that stuff and in this next scene when they're all when Xander Willow Giles and Buffy are talking in like a empty classroom because there's always an empty classroom for them to talk in at Sunnydale High School there's like no extras in this episode <laughs> like I, I, there probably was like a hallway scene whenever Faith and Buffy were walking to a classroom at one point, but like, there's just always an empty classroom for them to talk in. But anyway, while they're all sitting in the classroom talking, Buffy's wearing all black. Like, I think this, in this particular instance, it's supposed to symbolize a maturity. Like she is actually working through this now, now that she's talked to Willow and now that she's talked to Giles, like Buffy's very interconnected with her community she needs other people she needs to bounce off of other people and like she wasn't okay until she could bounce off someone other than faith so she's okay now like she's upset and but i think the black is supposed to sort of symbolize 
maturity and also sadness. Like she, at this point, she actually genuinely wants to do what's right for Faith. And now she has the strength of everyone else around her to be able to do that properly. And she actually gives a shit at this point. And she's starting to make a turn to be a little bit more emotionally mature in this situation. Um, and I think that black outfit says it all. <laughs> Willow in this scene. I almost gave the outfit of the episode to her. It's gonna go to Faith. We'll talk about that later when we get to the ratings. But I just want to note Willow's outfit in this scene because it's very cute. It's very Willow. It's just she's wearing these like lilac tights with um, a skirt that's almost the exact same color with a rose pattern on it. And then this sh burgundy striped shirt that does not match at all with the rest of the outfit. But it's perfect. It's such, it's such a willow outfit. I love a willow outfit. <laughs> um, then it's revealed in this conversation, you know, like they're basically trying to decide, okay, like, have you guys seen a different side of faith? Like, this is not like an intervention type thing. Like we can't all gang up on her. That's not going to go well. Like it probably needs to be like a one-on-one -on -one thing. Giles is saying all of this. And then Xander's like, well, maybe I could be the one on her one and then he starts you know nobody knows at this point that faith and him have slept together although buffy should have picked up on that in the last episode whatever faith was like you and xander have never like come on fighting side by side how have you never done that she should have picked up on that but she didn't but anyway he just sort of says you know faith and i we actually had a connection and um he mentions the fact that like he helped her fight that hell bitch or whatever a few episodes ago. And, um, you know, he just sort of says, and then we had a connection. And Buffy's like, you talked? Not extensively, no. And during the course of this, you see Willow get it. She gets it before anyone else does. And she's hurt. And she sort of withdraws a little bit. And she kind of is looking down and sort of processing this reaction from Willow. I understand. This makes sense to me. Later in the next scene, we'll see Willow just like bawling in the bathroom stall by herself. That does not make sense to me. Like I, maybe it's just because I didn't have this kind of experience in high school. Like I, I guess that's it. I guess I just don't really have the empathy for this particular situation. I thought it was a little over the top that she was crying in the bathroom, but that could just be because I was more, I was more like Faith in high school than I was like Willow. Like I would not admit to myself if like someone's rejection of me got to me. I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be displayed in me crying in a bathroom. Like I wouldn't let myself do that. So I guess I just thought this was over the top and it's just another nitpicky thing. Like a lot of people that a lot of people really, their heart breaks for Willow in this moment, but I just think it's a little bit like, really? Like her and Xander have had like an affair together. They cheated on their people with each other. She's had a crush on him for a thousand years. Um, but now she is trying to make things better with Oz and like she's going to be super hurt because he lost his virginity to someone else. I, 
I just personally don't get it, but a lot of people do, so I'm gonna just leave it at that. Okay. Again, I do understand her having a reaction, The but I think the appropriate level of her reaction was the way that she reacted um, during the conversation with all four of them in the classroom together. Like, I think this was just putting it too far over the top. It was just hitting you over the head with it, with what she's going through. Like, I just think that was too much. But anyway, that's just me. Okay. <laughs> Where are we? Okay. We're through that. Willow crying in the bathroom. Okay. The next scene. Okay. This is pretty triggering. Um, this is an awful scene. So Xander goes over like that night to talk to Faith. Like, despite the fact that Buffy during that conversation, she was a little harsh, but I get it. That's the way that her and Xander interact with each other. They are just like super mean to each other when it comes to their relationships with other people and they're confrontational to each other. They're always like that. So it doesn't really surprise me that she's like this, but she was a little too harsh. She just basically, once they all put it together that he and Faith have slept together, she just sort of says, well, um, I, she doesn't take the people that she has a connection with that seriously, which is fine that she said that, you know, she's just trying to discourage him from like trying to talk to her one-on-one, -on -one. but then she takes it too far and she says, you know, they're kind of a big joke to her. No offense. <laughs> like, wow, Buffy, calm down a little bit. I mean, that was a little cruel, but, um, yeah. So despite the fact that everybody was just sort of like, yeah, Xander, I don't really think that you should talk to Faith. Like, that's cute that you want to do that, but no, but he does it anyway. He goes over to her motel room to talk to her and it's a very upsetting scene. Um, so essentially Faith lets him in. He says, I just want to talk. That's it. I promise which is like, what? And then Faith says, like, you think you could make something happen if I didn't want it to? So that right there is already triggering. It's like, there has to be this context of if a guy goes to talk to a, a girl, he needs to, in order to be let into her domain, he needs to make sure that she knows that he's not going to try to sleep with her. Like, that's just so it's just so rape culture that whole exchange so rape culture and the fact that like maybe anyway anyway i don't know it's just this whole scene is upsetting so he goes in to try to talk to her and he's just he's he is a little bit trying to be like a savior to her he's like it sounds like what happened was an accident and you know i I understand you may not think so, but I know you and blah, blah, blah. He's really, he's really trying. Like, this is the very beginning of like, Xander is kind of maturing at this point. He is becoming a little, again, just like the theme of this episode, episode is emotional intelligence. He is becoming a little bit more emotionally intelligent. He's becoming a little bit more empathetic. And he really is trying to connect with her and trying to help her. And he does care about her. Um, he's, his heart is absolutely in the right place in the scene, but 
um, his arrogance at thinking that he can get through to her, ignoring what everyone else says and thinking that he can get through to her because they have had a connection, um, is, is a lot. And the fact that she's very dangerous and unpredictable, he knows that much, but he did not protect himself by telling anyone where he, what he was doing because he was going against what they thought he should do. So no one knows where he is when Faith decides she just kind of snaps. She decides she wants to have sex with him and he, he's saying no, he's clearly saying no. And then she pushes him down on the bed and she straddles him and she starts, she like rips open his shirt and it's just, this must have been such an awful scene for the two of them. Because knowing what we know now about um, Nicholas Brendan and some of the abuse that he had when he was a child, and then Elijah Dushku came out like about a year ago talking about what happened to her on the set of True Lies whenever she was 12 years old, like a crew member, like the stunt director or something um, molested her. And she came forward about that about a year ago. Um, so knowing that, I mean, both of them, I think at this point in their lives probably hadn't told people that they had been through something like that. And then they had to carry this scene out together. Um, I just wonder if like, since then they have talked about it at all or like how they dealt with it on set. Um, it must've been so awful for both of them because like she essentially is like possibly going to rape him. And then she starts choking him and like it, they really let this sink in. Like this is not a short scene. Like by when she starts choking him, it goes on for a good 15, 10, 15 seconds or so, which is a really long time. You see him really struggling and like, he can't speak. It's like, she is going to kill him. But luckily, Angel's lurking. He comes in. He's the White Knight, which is the Knight of Swords and, and tarot cards, by the way. <laughs> he swoops in and he saves Xander by, like, knocking Faith out with a shovel or a baseball bat. He has a baseball bat in the next scene, but I don't know if it's the same thing he hit her with. But anyway, in any case, he doesn't, he doesn't even, I, I don't know how he got in, first of all, like maybe he doesn't need an invitation because a motel is like a public, is like, you know, for the public, whatever, because she's never invited Angel into her motel room. Has she? No, I don't think so. So luckily he was lurking or else Xander would be dead right now. I mean, that is a fact. She was probably seconds away from killing him. Um, maybe not, maybe we're not supposed to think that it was that close, but it really seemed like it to me. So Angel saves Xander's life and he takes Faith and chains her up in his mansion. So the next scene is the two of them in his mansion. He's trying to talk to her. Um, there's also 
a scene where um, the mayor sends Trick to kill the Slayers. So he's just like, he's had it. He sees them on the, the security footage whenever they were looking through the deputy mayor's office. Um, and he's like, that's it. They, they probably know something, um, or they at least know that we're keeping something. Um, what if Alan was going to them with information? What did he tell them? I don't know. They need to be dealt with. So he sends Trick after them. Um, or that's when, you know, you're seeing that that's probably going to happen. Um, and then there's this whole conversation with Angel and Faith. Angel's Really, I mean, he does know where she's coming from, but I don't like the dialogue, how he just keeps saying, like, I know what it's like, the power of extinguishing human life, and now you have a taste for it, and blah, 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 blah. You don't know the price of true evil. It's like, he's trying again, just like Xander. He's trying, but he's not... He's not doing the best job. And then, you know, Faith is just defense, defense, defense. And then finally she starts kind of listening. And he says, you know, and then he starts saying a little bit gentler stuff, you know, like, if you can trust us, we can help you through this. Like, you don't have to go to the dark place or whatever. And she's kind of listening. He's getting through to her and like... You get a whole, like, 15 to 30 seconds of him maybe getting through to her, even though she's not saying anything. She's just actually started listening. She just went from, like, being a wall to possibly listening and processing. And that is the moment when Wesley and some Watchers Council dudes show up. They, like, throw a net over Angel and he's somehow trapped in it, which is kind of hilarious because he's just like struggling in this net. It's like, why did the net take you down, Angel? I don't know, but so, and the fact, how do they know that Faith was at Angel's place anyway? How did they know where Angel's place was? So many questions, but in any case, they show up, they um, take Faith in like they're going to take her out of town. They're going to take her to the, the judgment of the Watchers Council. Um, and Faith just isn't having it. You know, she basically, like, kicks one of the guys and she, like, puts her foot over his head and says, I'm going to smash this guy's head like a grape if you don't let me out of these chains. Um, so Wesley unlocks her and she jumps out of the moving truck because they have her, like, in the back of a truck or something, like a semi-truck not like a huge semi-truck but like one of those littler ones I don't know whatever they have her in the back of a fucking truck and they're taking her to like the airport or something because they're going to take her to England to like put her on trial or whatever but she gets out and um then let's see the next scene is they're in the library and Wesley shows up and Oh, Angel has gone. It's everybody in the library. Willow, Xander, Angel, Giles, Buffy. Um, and he's saying, you know, oh, I guess I missed the part where Buffy comes back because she had gone to Faith's, she'd gone to Faith's motel to like get some of her stuff because, you know, I guess they're planning to like keep her hostage at Angel's for a while. Um during this intervention process they've decided that angel is the one to get through to her which makes sense i mean it does 
but she comes back from like getting some of Faith's stuff and that's when she finds Angel in the net she gets him out of the net they go back to the library and he's telling them like hey Wesley Wesley got them got her they're taking her away now and during this entire scene Xander is not speaking I don't think he says another word for the rest of the episode. I like that little detail, you know, like, because it's possible after that near-death choking experience that he can't actually speak right now. It's quite possible that he can't talk. But also he's very hurt and victimized by that whole situation because it was, you know, essentially an attempted rape and attempted murder that just happened to him. Like, pretty heavy and like I mean obviously most of the time I hate Xander's guts but like they don't really give this the gravity that it deserves probably because of the whole like you know the stupid thing in our culture where like dudes can't be raped you know like they actually love it they love any sexual encounter they they never want to say no you know like that whole toxic bullshit like the think that might be playing out right here because they're not treating this with the gravity that that situation really was like i mean obviously he's very upset and he can't even speak right now but i i don't know just like they don't ever really bring this up again as i don't think maybe they do maybe i just don't remember but anyway um I just feel like this should have been dealt with a little bit. I don't know, just a little bit more should have been into that, like making sure to take care of Xander after this happened and make sure that he's okay. I just, I would have liked to see, to have seen some of that, but they're not doing that. They're not going to do that. So whatever. Um, at this point you see immediately, like this is the first like shift in Wesley's character. You see that he knows that what he did was wrong um, cause he comes back to them to tell them what's going on. Um, as Angel's like saying, yeah, Wesley did this. He faces them and he says, he says, I'm sorry. Or does he say I'm sorry? I don't know, but he says he wants to help. And you can tell he really genuinely does. And you can tell that he understands that what he did was wrong. Um, and wasn't the right choice. And he's willing to face up to that. And so this is the first little, like, moment where you know that Wesley is not just a bumbling idiot like he cares at least that what he did was wrong and he wants to make it right and they just sort of like make this plan They're like well okay now we have to go find her and like Buffy hands out the assignments of where everybody should go check for her um and Wesley says what can I do I want to help and she just you know makes some snotty ass comment to him like why don't you go back to the mother country or whatever and whatever he takes his lumps he lets her say that to him Buffy finds Faith at the docks because there was a comment earlier where she was like well what if what if this doesn't blow over in a few days and Faith says well uh, there's a freighter that leaves the docks twice a night like it ain't fancy but it gets you gone so Faith knows or Buffy knows to check for Faith there and she is there and then they have a conversation this is where like you know it really seems like this is the point where somebody gets through to faith during this scene because again it's this whole conversation where faith is like admit it like you 
you get off on being a slayer too sometimes. Like, you know that we're better than other people. Like, admit that you have some of these feelings that I have, is basically what she's saying to her. And Buffy's like, no, 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 no. I admit nothing. You're sick, Faith. And she's just, she's really shut down at this point, which I think doesn't make sense because at this point she really wants to help Faith. But in this scene, she's reverting back to like, you know, being in denial about any time in which she has had the same feelings that Faith has. She's in complete denial about it at this point. Um, again, for whatever reason. And Faith says to her at one point, you need me to toe the line because you're afraid you'll go over it, aren't you, B? And you can tell that some of this is getting through to Buffy. And she, you know, she's defensive about it so much so that she punches Faith in the face. And Faith's like, there you are. There's my girl. Like, she wanted that much of an emotional reaction from Buffy. And that's the moment that, you know, like, she can, you know, she gets... She's been wanting something. She's been wanting some kind of emotional validation from Buffy this whole time. And that's the moment that she gets it. She gets that emotional validation when she gets punched in the face by Buffy. So, like, this person has been through a lot of shit in life. The fact that, like, you could punch her in the face and that's when you start to get through to her. I mean, that really says something about the way that Faith needs to be dealt with, right? Anyway. So right after that happens, this like big crate starts falling. I don't know why, but Buffy just immediately, without even thinking, she pushes Faith out of the way and the crate traps her legs. And also without even thinking, you know, they're in the middle of this knockdown drag out fight, but without even thinking, Buffy saves Faith's life and Faith immediately jumps up and goes over to Buffy to try to help her, but then they get attacked by Trick and his dude. So they've caught up to her, caught up to them and they're trying to take them both out. So they have this whole fight scene and Buffy is being like, Trick has like, is it his, it's not his tie because he's still wearing his tie, but it's like this red something, a red cord, red ribbon, something that he's got wrapped around Buffy's neck and he's dragging her by it and he is about to kill her. Thankfully, a vampire killing a slayer, he's about to actually drink her blood. Fucking finally. <laughs> like, vampires should want to drink slayer's blood, right? So he's about to kill her and Faith, you see her having this moment where she realizes, like, she's killed the other guys that were there, however many there were, maybe there was only one, I don't know, whatever. She's, you know, killed the people that are facing off with her, and, and Trick is distracted by Buffy right now. So Faith could easily, and they actually show her making the choice. They show her thinking, okay, I could just run off right now. And then she doesn't do it she saves Buffy's life instead. She makes the conscious decision to save Buffy's life. So she kills Trick and then there they are together. Um, they don't, they don't give you the satisfaction of like watching Buffy thank her for saving her life or what conversations they have at this point. Cause obviously they're going to have some kind of conversation at this point that we don't see happen. That is more understanding than any of the conversations they've had this entire episode that's more empathetic with each other. Like, obviously something good happens here because Buffy convinces Faith to come back with her to town. And then the next scene, 
is Buffy in the library with Giles and he's got a thermos full of tea or something and he's serving her tea like what time of night is it at this point like four in the morning but anyway she is saying to Giles you know like she she could have left me there to die but she didn't she saved my life um and and Giles is like and she came back to town with you that bodes well and then Buffy says I'm not gonna give up on her and that's the moment where like I just kind of start crying because you know she's finally like I don't know (laughs) she wants to help faith everybody wants to help faith at this point they're they're being compassionate for the first time (laughs) um towards faith it took something really awful happening for them to give a shit but they care at this point and so she says I'm not going to give up on her and Giles just says well then I think she has a chance super sweet little moment but then the very last scene of the episode faith shows up at the mayor's office and um she just kind of like she says you sent your boys to kill me and the mayor says yes i did (laughs) he's just very frank (laughs) and she says they're dust and um the mayor says well i thought that might be the case since you're standing here (laughs) oh god i love the mayor so much and then she says well i guess that means you have a job opening um even this moment like obviously this is supposed to convey to us that faith is crossed over she is not we can't help her she's too far gone at this point i think that's what we're supposed to think but this also makes sense to me like the way that everyone else is trying to help faith is just like in little like they're throwing her little breadcrumbs breadcrumbs here and there you know they're just like sprinkling little like hey we're here if you want to trust us and then they just disappear they're not really doing the heavy lifting of like making sure that faith knows that you know she's a part of this group you know because after buffy comes back with faith she goes to hang out with giles and have tea like she needs more emotional support for everything that's going on so she goes to giles but faith's got nothing she just left her at her fucking motel room again so i completely understand why faith's next move is to reach out to the mayor i get it like i know that we're supposed to think it's because she now has a taste for blood but I don't think it's that i think she just wants she wants a community and she is not getting it with buffy and her friends so that's a good segue to getting into that's the end of the episode so that's a good segue into research mode and i have a couple of actually a couple of my books had smart things to say about what's going on in this episode so i'm going to read you directly from two of my different Buffy books here um Sex and the Slayer a gender studies primer for the Buffy fan by Lorna Jowett she has some really interesting things to say I'm even gonna read like I'm gonna read like paragraphs from this book right now let's see where do I want to start this um she has a chapter in her book called bad girls not just about the episode but it's just outlining the character arcs of different 
um, quote unquote, bad girls of Buffy. So she has this whole section on faith. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's several pages long, but I'm going to read you kind of the parts that pertain to this episode. One of the most interesting bad girls in Buffy is the third slayer, Faith. Faith shares characteristics with the other bad girls, yet she is human, and arguably she is meant to be a good girl. Meant to be a good girl, a hero, another Buffy. Of all the bad girls I identify here, she's the only one allowed redemption. Like Drusilla and to some extent Darla, Faith helped illuminate Buffy as a dark shadow of the Slayer. Marty Noxon, writer and producer, has described Faith as the expression of the darker side of what it might mean to be empowered as a Slayer. Um, and I don't know who she's, she just says Buttsworth notes that, so she's obviously referencing someone else writing about Faith, but I don't know who Buttsworth is, unfortunate last name, but Buttsworth notes that Women have been constructed as more dangerous than men because they are supposedly uncontrollable when violent. I think that's really important to think about. Like, and that is, that is a construct in our patriarchal society that like women are uncontrollable when violent. Like if there's violence in women, it's completely unhinged. Whereas men have a reason for their violence, but women are hysterical. Um, and Faith, like Dark Willow, exemplifies the uncontrollable nature of female power on Buffy. Because Buffy and Faith are both slayers, there is inevitably competition between them, but Buffy always emerges as the good girl, the responsible slayer. Like other young female characters in Buffy, Faith is shown negotiating an identity that combines feminism and femininity. The show's writers remove her as a threat to good girls Buffy and Willow by making her morally bad and by suggesting that Faith's difference arose because she has not had Buffy's advantages. Different circumstances, that could be me. Different circumstances, that could be me, Buffy observes in Doppelgangland. So that's the next episode. So we'll talk about that when we get there. A rare acknowledgement that her privileged position enables her to make choices that are not available to all young women. Like Kendra, Faith is other than Buffy, if in more ambivalent terms. Let's see. I think there was something else here. I just don't want to keep reading and just like read way too much. Okay. I think there's just one last um, paragraph I think is still important to this discussion here. In her discussion of all three slayers, Helford suggests that, again, I don't know who Helford is. Somebody else has written about Faith at some point, I guess. Um, these might be other th books that I need to buy. Because Faith never repents her thievery, never attends school or displays any other evidence of seeking education, and never dresses in the kind of attire Buffy wears as part of proper Sunnydale teen girlhood. The series casts her as lower in class than Buffy and her friends. I think that's really important. That's something that, like... I didn't really make that connection before, but that, that is part of it. There's some classism here for sure. Faith therefore offers an interesting new subject position. She cannot fit in with the Scoobies because she does not share their middle-class background and her upbringing produces a different version of femininity. Helford points at points to various indicators of Faith's class, and the show hints at an abusive family background with an alcoholic mother. These factors are not restricted to working-class families, but they do not appear in the lives of the predominantly middle-class characters on the show. So, 
yeah, that is something that I think is definitely going on here. Um, and it's something that the show has a problem with in general. Like, I would think that most of the writers of Buffy, I mean, most of the writers of Buffy are white dudes. Um, so that in and of itself is, you know, they're coming from a place of getting, of having a lot of choices afforded to them that not everyone has. So they're also probably haven't been in Faith's position. Like Faith is seen as being bad, but you know, she has no money. She has no way of making money. And we're just supposed to like look down on her for this reason. Like instead of feeling bad for her, which is an, why I completely understand her going to the mayor because eventually the mayor is going to get her an apartment. He's going to be like, dude, you don't need to be staying in that motel. You're like my right-hand man. You need my right-hand woman. You need to have a place that befits you, you know, a place that he gets her like a loft apartment and he completely tr like tricks it out with furniture and a PlayStation. And like, he gives her the life that she deserves to have. It's not like, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I, I get it. I just get it. Like, besides the fact that she attempted to rape and kill Xander, that's completely indefensible. But besides that, I get what she's going through. Okay. There's another part in Bite Me, the um, unofficial guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Another great point in here. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba. Okay. Buffy, Xander, Giles, Angel, and Wesley all try to help, in quotes, out Faith because each believes he or she understands what Faith is going through. The problem is none of these people tried to befriend Faith on unconditional terms before and they really don't know where she's coming from. They don't know anything about her family life or what makes her tick. All they know is the little she told them at the beginning and then her guard went up and they lost interest. Why would Faith listen to Buffy, who didn't like her until she realized Faith wasn't a threat to her? Only when Buffy realized her friends were her friends first and foremost did she start to hang out with Faith. Xander's connection with Faith is based on a mistaken assumption and Angel tries to get through to her by drawing a comparison between Faith and himself as a demon. He believes that, like him, once she gets the taste of killing, it'll be in her blood. Nice way to compare her to a dog there, Angel. That's all from Nikki Stafford that wrote the um, Bite the Episode Guide. God, I love her so much. Such a great point because that really is like, even though Angel's coming from a good place and he is ultimately the one that can get through to Faith, he, he does it in a bad way. Like I said before, like he, comparing this little girl, this like 16 year old girl that's accidentally killed one human being in her time as a slayer to him being a remorseless, soulless vampire is really over the top, Angel. Like you can, you can say to her that I get where you're coming from. The two of us are a lot of, a lot alike. You know, you can say that kind of stuff without saying the things that he said, you know, um, everybody is mishandling this situation except Giles. <laughs> But he's still, he's not involving himself enough. Like, he really should have said, all y'all don't know what the fuck's going on. Let me and Angel handle this, okay? <laughs> That's what he should have said, I think. Um, but, 
he didn't. And this was the turning point. This was the moment where things were either going to go one of two ways with Faith. And because everybody mishandled this situation in some way or another, it was all mishandled. Because of that, Faith has gone to the dark side. She has made that choice. And that's the way that they're painting this. I still think it's not too late for her, but it doesn't have to be too late for her, but that's the way it's going to be for the show. Like, her, them showing her showing up, showing, 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 the show showing her showing up at the mayor's office is the nail on the coffin for Faith at this point. Like, there's no going back. Although she could have, like, been like, look, you guys, you guys don't trust me. I don't trust you. I'm, I'm going to go work for the mayor now and I'm going to like, she could have, I, I never thought about this before this particular viewing, but she could have like spun it as I'm going to go work for the mayor and, um, I'm just going to like be a spy for you guys. And that's how I can involve myself more in your dealings and we can build trust together. Like she could have done that and that would have been great. But she didn't. She just keeps it from them. Um, which, again, I, I do understand. I do understand why she decided to do that. Anyway, so let's get it. I just put my notebook away, but I need to actually do the ratings for the episode. Super upsetting episode because, you know, that's it. From now on, I mean, obviously you guys know this already. This is not a spoiler-free podcast. So from now on, what we're going to see from Faith, she's going to be a real bad girl for the rest of this season. Buffy's going to betray her really, really badly and put her in a coma, which I think is awful. Um, yeah, that's going to happen at the end of the season. Then in season four, she's going to get out of the coma and she's going to, that's when we're going to really get into some interesting conversations. That two-part episode arc when um faith and buffy switch bodies is those are two of my very favorite episodes that's one, probably one of my definitely one of my top five story arcs in the series um so i can't wait till we get there that's going to be like over a year from now but um that's a really great storyline and then she immediately jumps over to the angel series and there's like an episode or two with her and angel um, him again, having an opportunity to get through to her for real this time. Um, and then after that, she goes to prison for like three years or something before we see her again, show back up on the last season of Buffy and she's redeemed herself at that point. So it's great that we get to see the full circle of her character, but I think they also did a disservice to her by like letting her just be in prison for several years and not dealing with her story arc until they felt like unearthing her again in season seven. It was kind of like how Amy's a rat for four fucking years before she gets to reemerge as a human in season six, I guess three years. Um, you know, I just, they, the show is really, really great at character development, but also it can really be bad at it. You know, like they'll develop Buffy's character all day long, but like everybody else really gets thrown to the side. Um, when it's a TV show, they have time. They have so much time 
sorry i talk about that like every fucking podcast episode <laughs> like they should spend more time on characters that aren't buffy okay you know all right i've said it <laughs> i will say it again but i don't need to harp on it quite so much anyway let's get into the ratings um object so faith has and i don't think we've seen this before i didn't notice it until this episode anyway in her motel room above her bed is this gigantic piece of wall art that is like i don't even know what it is it looks kind of like an abstract gigantic gumball because it's like this sort of it's a circular it's got to be like at least four or five feet in diameter it's big and it's it's definitely 3d it's coming out from the wall like a dome like a planet like a scorched planet it's like this big brown thing with all these weird like little curly things coming out of it it's like this messy black hole thing like it's but it's not black it's brown it's because the show is so darkly lit which is one of the things i really like about it you cannot tell what the fuck this thing is <laughs> it just looks like this abstract like hole in the universe you know it looks very symbolic and, and i think it's it's no accident that it showed up in her motel room during this episode but you see it in like a couple of different scenes you see it when the detective is talking to her in her motel room and you see it in that awful scene with her and xander um but that is my object of the episode because that thing is is crazy and like it looks like some 70s wall piece it's insane and dark and weird and i think it would look great on my stairwell because there's this huge space there um that goes all the way up to the ceiling of the second floor and i think i think it would look great there <laughs> i've been wanting something to go there at some point and a gigantic weird gumball black hole abstract thing yeah i want that um it would probably be something you'd have to make yourself so i'd have to figure out how to execute that but that's that's yeah that's my object of the episode my outfit of the episode is going to be faith's second outfit of the episode she both of her outfits in this episode were great faith outfits but her second outfit was the best she was wearing like um uh, a chain necklace um she was wearing a black sheer top that was like not sheer from like underwire up <laughs> i'm assuming on her bra under boob up it was not sheer but from under boob down it was sheer i think it was long sleeved too i don't know um and then black vinyl pants and like doc martin type boots they they weren't doc martens but you know those type of boots um yeah that was a good and then later she had her dark denim jacket on when she was at the the docks um so yeah great outfit from faith she looked great in this episode um both outfits of hers were great so she gets outfitted of the episode the quote is that um that quote that i told you guys before from faith the it doesn't matter what kind of vibe you get off a person because nine times out of ten the face they're showing you is not the real one so that's just words to live by right there um mvp of the episode i'm giving it as a tie to giles and angel because both of them knew how to handle the situation in a way that no one else did 
even though they did not execute anything perfectly, they both, their heart was in the right place and they really tried to help Faith. And they were mostly pretty intelligent about how to handle the situation. So Giles and Angel get MVP this episode. I'm not sure Angel has ever gotten MVP, so um, applause for Angel. <laughs> that might be the only time this ever happens and he has to share it with Giles, but yeah. Um, five by five ratings. Oh, that's going to be hard to do for this episode because, I mean, I've been talking about this episode for almost two hours. It There's a lot of feelings here. I think it was well done. Um, Marty Noxon is really good at those em emotional heart-wrenching episodes. Treatment of women in this episode. So that's the first rating out of five. Um, hmm. I don't know because like Willow is shown as just being really petty and she actually says at one point, I don't like to share my people with Faith. You know, like she's pissed off because Faith has been spending a lot of time with Buffy. She's pissed off because Faith had sex with Xander, even though she has no claim to him whatsoever. Um, so they're, I don't know, the way that they're portraying Willow, I think is kind of shitty. Um, Cordelia just shows up for like a second and she's attracted to Wesley. I don't know. I don't, I feel like this particular episode is not necessarily saying anything good or bad about women just besides the overall plot arc of Faith being a bad girl because she's not following all of society's rules and she's had some damage in her past that make her not completely, you know, adjusted in general. So I would say it's more bad than good as far as treatment towards women, but it's pretty much in a neutral category. So I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give it a 2.5. I feel like I give every episode for treatment of women a 2.5. Not the most feminist show in the world. Like you're supposed to think it is, huh? Just because a girl kicks ass does not mean a show is feminist. Okay. Um, and even if the creators say it's feminist, it doesn't mean it's feminist. Okay. Enjoyability of the episode. I mean, obviously not strictly like enjoyable, but do I think it was well written overall? Yes. So I'm going to give it a four. So what is four times 2.5? Why do I always do that to myself? Why do I always give myself 0.5? Like I could do 4.2 4 right now, but what's 4.2.5? 4, 4 times 2.5. <laughs> Four times two point five. Okay. Duh. I mean, I should have been able to do that in my head. It's ten. This episode gets a ten for five by five ratings. So let me know what you guys think about this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Faith's story arcs in general. Have you read Go Ask Malice? What do you think? How much do you love Faith? How much do you hate the way that all this shit goes down? Um, I mean, a part of me is excited to see her being a bad girl because at least then, you know, 
her interactions with the mayor are some heartwarming moments. I mean, the mayor is evil and everything, but he does genuinely grow to care about Faith. And he's not a bad guy in his interpersonal relationship with Faith. He, he doesn't treat her with disrespect. He actually cares about her. And like to s- the fact that the only character we really get to see getting to know and respecting and really genuinely caring for Faith is an evil guy sucks. But I'm here for it. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's it for today's show. So let me know if, um, how you feel about faith. Mixtressradio at gmail is where you can email me or you can message me on my Mixtress Buffy Instagram page. Um, have a great week. I will be back next Saturday. I do have to work next Saturday, so it's going to be another late night show where um the actual episode probably won't get uploaded until the wee hours of the morning on sunday the 24th um so don't look for that until sunday (laughs) don't look for that episode until sunday but um yeah i'll see you guys next week where we will talk about doppelgangland it's gonna be a lighter episode at least we're gonna get some willow character development we're gonna get to see oz again after a couple weeks of not having him well he was around for like a second in the last episode i think but um might we might get some cordelia i think we get some cordelia in the next episode we're gonna get to see willow dress up like her um alternate universe counterpoint i think we're gonna get to see some anya in the next episode so it's gonna be fun um so i will see you then have a great week bye